This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insight on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Spring Conversations. interviews Rosemary Hurwitz, the author of Who You Are Meant to Be, The Enneagram Effect. Rosemary's work speaks to the Enneagram Effect, specifically its wisdom and practice on our lives, and what the trajectory for our lives can look like when we practice thriving, not merely surviving. In other words, when we are acting in alignment with who we are meant to be. If you are new to Enneagram inner work, there is a personality type discernment quiz and a list of songs that Rosemary likes for each of the nine types. The strengths and challenges section for each type, while certainly not exhaustive, gives us a good feel for what each type can bring to the table of life. The emotional passion section, or as Dr. David Daniels referred to it, the driving energy, is next. Rosemary likes both terms because she thinks they help of our type, which then attracts within us the high end of our corresponding type, our authentic and happy place, our heaven on earth. Conversely, we see what it looks like for us when we are stressed, in a state of unease, or in an absence of wellness. House on fire kind of stress can bring out the best in us. But the wellness map, Arrows, shows us what we do to ourselves, where we go, and how we domino down when we choose to react from our low side to everyday stresses. Rosemary calls this state your hell on earth. Of course, to one degree or another, we can go in and out of these states of center and stress all day long because we are human. Our ease and inner security can go hand in hand with our authenticity, and our disease may be influenced by it. When we do this inner work of choosing security over stress, we pull in or attract the many resourceful gifts within our unique personality. It is when our personality is driven by spirit, where we are perfectly safe, that we find ourselves directed, joy-filled, enough, secure, resourceful, and so much more. Rosemary Hurwitz, a married mom of four young adults, is passionate about an inner-directed life, and she found the focus for it in the Enneagram. The Enneagram is a time-honored personality-to-higher-consciousness paradigm used worldwide. Rosemary has studied and taught the Enneagram since 2001 certification. She gives Enneagram-based individual coaching for emotional wellness and deeper spiritual connection. Rosemary has certifications in intuitive counseling and angel card reading and uses these wisdom traditions in her spiritual teaching and coaching. For 25 years, along with her husband, Dale, she gave Discovery Weekend Retreats, patterned after marriage encounter, for engaged couples. 
an accredited professional member of the International Enneagram Association, Rosemary has taught at Common Ground in Chicago and has been published in nine inspirational compilation books, including No Mistakes, How You Can Change Adversity into Abundance. Her first single-authored best-selling book is Who You Are Meant to Be, The Enneagram Effect. Here is the interview with Rosemary Hurwitz. In your own words, who is Rosemary Hurwitz? Oh, what a great question. I love that question. And I'll tell you why. I grew up Catholic. And so the first thing that comes to me, and many people who might be listening might recognize that the name Hurwitz is Jewish. And I fell in love with a nice Jewish boy when I was 25. And we've been together now 39 years. And people had some concerns, you know, in this honestly very timely kind of day that you and I are in of social unrest. For me to think about this is powerful because years, many, many, many years ago, um, my aunt was in love with a Jewish man. She was Catholic. And they were both told that it was verboten, you know, that's forbidden in German. And they were told that that couldn't happen. So my aunt ran away. She said that I'm leaving Milwaukee. I'm going to run away. I'm, I, she didn't run away. She went to a school in California for co- cosmetology, a beauty school. And while she was walking one day, she was hit and killed. And she was 23 years old. And she, it was a, like a, one of those hit and run cars drive accidents. And my grandma, every time she talked about Aunt Margie, she would cry. And I, I just remember it so clearly. And I didn't really know. I sort of forgot. I didn't know her story, except that she died at 23. But somewhere along the line, after I had fallen in love with my husband, Dale, and we married, I found out this story. And I thought, my goodness, we have had four beautiful children. We have had so much love and so much happiness. And she wasn't able to have any of it. And so Rosemary Hurwitz is... Firstly, Mary's rose. I'd like to consider myself the Blessed Mother's flower. And I am proud to be. That's beautiful. The other part of me, too, you know, the, 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 have the Jewish heritage part of me. And, and that is who I am. It's <laughs> kind of a heavy way to start the show here. but <laughs> That's beautiful. <laughs> That's you being you. That's really wonderful. Thank you. Before we talk about some of the topics in your book, Who You Are Meant to Be, The Enneagram Effect, I have a few warm-up questions, as I mentioned, off record. The first one is, what does it mean to be a human, Rosemary? Um, Well, I think when you ask me that question, the first thing that comes to mind is a book that I read many years ago, and I honestly, I'm trying to, I hope I get his name right. But anyway, it was by a priest, The Pain of Being Human. So I think to be human means to be open to both joy and suffering, you know, and all many, many emotions. But the human condition is to feel 
pain and or suffering, you know. So that's different maybe than, I mean, I think animals feel it, but on a different level and, you know, so. Yeah, I love that. I love what you said, that to be a human is to be open to joy and sorrow. Yeah, that's, uh, I hear wisdom. Um, what is the meaning of well-being to you? Well, yeah, and you and I have so much in common here because we're both passionate about it. Um, well-being is um, a state of center for me. It is a state where um, I am authentic and I am close to my essence, you know, who I really truly am, who I came here to be, who, who my spirit is sort of guiding me to be, you know. Right, right. And that nicely leads to my next question. What does freedom mean to you? Well, I think freedom is the, you know, ability to allow what is uh, happening in your own sphere, your own uh, atmosphere, actually, right? Um, what it, it, It's to allow it to be. And then also to move through it in a way that helps you, if you get disconnected, to get back to center. So freedom is about being in that place of both and, knowing that we've probably evolved from amoeba, from the sea, or even before that. We don't even thoroughly, I mean, I certainly don't, maybe the most brilliant scientist understands evolution perfectly. But there is there is this whole imperfection in the evolution of who we are, and then in the potential that we have to become. So we are in we are walking the fine line, or we are both those things. We are both who we were as little reptiles, and who we can become as divine beings. Yeah. I love that too. Uh, that reminds me of um, a phrase that somebody said to me. I think he wrote a book and had that phrase, um, perfect, imperfect, being perfectly imperfect. That's what he said. At this time, what do you think is the world's greatest need? And do you have a vision for a new reality? First, the thing I want to say is I love Mother Teresa's saying that is do you know, I'm paraphrasing, but do uh, great things, small things with great love. And, and so I would put myself in that category frame, whatever. Um, not that we have to think of things in terms of small or big, but I know that what I do in my work is humble, but the, the, the world needs enlightening. They need um, to own their shadow piece. They yeah. need to own, to name it, to own it, to know it, and to and to know that it's going to be with them every day. But maybe the more they're aware of it and the more they move through it, the smaller the shadow will become. And we do it the other way. We do it the other way. We go like, I'm afraid of my shadow. I don't want to know about my shadow. I don't want to, you know, and we're chasing, we're, we're, it's like we're, we're, we're running from it and, and it becomes a dog chasing its own tail. And I, 
believe what we need most in the world from my work with the Enneagram and Carl Jung and any psychology work I've done, dream work, anything, is to know, own, and we say things like I'm going to own my issues, but to know and own and work through issues which have, you know, a good amount of basis in the shadow piece of who we are. And so what do I want to do to make, what What was your second question again? I mean, just say it for me again so I can. Yeah. About your vision for a new reality, if you have an idea. Right. So my vision for a new reality is to, I call myself a missionary for consciousness because I am just since, since I since probably I took a my husband and I did discovery weekends, which were like marriage encounter for the engaged. We did these retreats. And then I, I wanted to learn more about leading small groups. So I took a course for two years and I was a very busy mom. But I said, oh, she said this lady who recommended it to me said, you'll love it. It meets every Wednesday night for two years for, you know, 7 p.m. to 10 p.m. So I kind of thought I had a mom's night out that way, too. And it was really nice. And I got so much out of it. And then at the end of those two years, I was ready to have my fourth baby. But these gentlemen waltzed in from Loyola University in Chicago, and they said, you have, by participating in this, you have X amount of credits towards a Master of Arts in Pastoral Studies. And I thought, well, I'm going to have a fourth baby. That's really nice. I'm never going to do that. But then, you know, as it said in my book, life is what happens. John Lennon said, life is what happens when you're busy making other plans. And I heard this call and I just really wanted to. And ever since I heard that call, ever since I fell to my sort of knees on a windy day and I said to God, how can I do this sacred work with people? How can I work with people on their spiritual development when I'm just damaged goods too, you know? And I just heard, I heard in the very essence of who I am, I heard in deep within me, I will put the words inside your mouth. I just heard that like strange phrase and I just have been listening to it ever since. And so what I want, how I want to bring my work to the world to what my vision is, is to bring this sense of knowing your shadow, knowing yourself deeply, warts and all, and and loving yourself deeply, and knowing that each person looks through the lens of their life differently because they're unique. And we have these wonderful, you know, not uh, paradigms, holistic systems, different things to help us. The thing that I found that to me is an emotional wellness tool and a spiritual connection tool is the Enneagram. And that's what I, I want to, so it's missionary for consciousness, helping people, you know, find peace one person at a time. You know, that's really what it is. Yeah, I have questions for you about the Enneagram. But before that, let me go through the warm-up questions. I have a few more of them. So the next one is about love. What is love to you? Uh, love is, you know, I'm going to probably sound a little selfish here, but mm -hmm. I don't really believe in love the way I used to. I I believe that Jesus was for me when he said, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That would probably sum it up. But if I wanted to just add a little bit to it, I would say 
again, the balance is extremely important to me that I, I love, and yes, all like the workers today with COVID-19 are loving possibly to a fault. They're loving beyond exhaustion. They're loving in a way that sometimes we are just have to do that. And I get that. And I've done that as a mother and I've done that as a wife. And I've done that as even a mother of fur babies and all different ways I've done it. But I don't want to say, but, and I believe that love is much more powerful when you're not depleted, when you're not giving it out of a depleted state but when you're giving it because you've already filled up your own well to a certain point, you are in a place of center again. You are in a place of you can't always love out of center. Sometimes you have to love out of depletion. But I don't think that's the best way to love. I think the best way to love is to have a certain amount of love and resources within your own well so that you can it sort of spills over. Yeah, I agree 100%. I love the way you keep going back to balance, basically saying that we use our inner wisdom to find the way back to the center, to balance. So having that wisdom within, it's very important. I agree. Yes. So my next question is about peace. What is your understanding and idea of peace? Well, I don't think peace is... um the absence of trouble. I think peace is, again, finding that both and, that center within that says something to the effect of, I can feel that these problems that I'm having that are all around me are not problems, but they're portals. They are openings to something a gift, as my friend Darren Weissman says, a gift in strange wrapping paper. So, you know, but they're a portal, they're an opening for us to grow. And I don't want to do any spiritual bypassing. Like, I think you have to grieve it. I woke up this morning crying. I was crying. I don't feel that good today. After all these riots in Chicago and all the sadness after the death of George Floyd, my heart aches. It aches. And I think we need to name when we are not well and not feeling well because you can't you can't just spiritually bypass all the time oh you know get to get to the it's really nice to have that spiritual lining that silver lining and there will be one but you have to grieve what's happening too so for me it's constantly goes back to you know that balance of being real grounded feeling it to heal it and let it move through me, not not push it down like a beach ball that's just going to pop back up next week, you know, and possibly with somebody that I didn't mean it to pop back up with. <laughs> true. Yeah, so true, Rosemary, so true. What, where, and who is God to you? Wow, another giant question. God is my, to me, my source. God is just an all loving. I mean, I'm Christian. So Jesus told us to think of him as a parent. I don't really think of him as a father per se, because I don't think, I think Jesus just explained it that way to make it easy for people to understand. But 
a loving parent, whether it's a mother figure or a father figure. Um, anyway, it doesn't even have to be, it's just a guide, you know, a loving guide who guides you to that place that you've mentioned a couple times today. And I have already that place that resonates, that place that you feel, that place that's home, that place that's love. That's God to me. God is all loving and all forgiving and all merciful and all just and and wants only the best for us and enters into all the pain right with us not and doesn't do things to us in any kind of a punitive way but with us and for us and you know there are times I've been angry at God as I'm sure you have and everybody who's listening has but it's okay. I don't think, I think God can take our anger. It's just a little misplaced. Cause once again, if, if you, if you have faith, if you have perfect faith, then questions like, well, why does this happen? Doesn't really make sense. Right. Why does God do it this way? Doesn't really make sense to me. They, it, it's, it's just, you can't have darkness without, you can't have light without darkness. You can't have all these polar things that we have that we live with as humans you can't have these these things of i mean light and dark is the best way to say it you just can't have light without dark and so if darkness comes and it and it's come since the time we have started evolving until the time we'll be done if there even is a time maybe it just Nobody really knows for sure. Are we going to evolve forever and ever and ever? So it's so big. It's so big. But to me, love, God is love. God is love and and in the highest form of that word. Yeah. Yes. Yes. A thousand times. Yes. <laughs> Did you answer the question, uh, where is God? Yeah. Where? Yeah, I could touch base on where. Oh, I think everywhere. I know that sounds very like esoteric or something but I really believe that God is everywhere and in everything and in all things you know is one I mean I teach about the good reformer on the Enneagram and they they are the type one and they really understand in some ways everybody brings something different to the table these different personality types but the one brings the sense of oneness and that's what I think of when I think of where is God? God is in oneness. I love that. Um, yeah, it resonates with the heart, not the mind. Yeah. <laughs> the mind doesn't understand that. <laughs> yeah. And my last question to you, Rosemary, is um, what do you think is the main purpose of your life? I think the main purpose of my life is to act as an instrument for this bigger concept of love and self-love prime, you know, with a focus on self-love because it pays big, big, big dividends. (laughs) (laughs) True. (laughs) So true. So true. Uh, I can say so true for the rest of the interview (laughs) on that one. (laughs) I think you and I are or kindred spirit. <laughs> For sure. So let's talk about your work. Before I begin asking questions, specific questions about your book and the topic, how did you become a writer? I had a clinical depression when I was uh, 
I think, well, I came back up. People would say you were a good writer and I got good grades in writing in school. And I used to keep journals and from therapy, I would keep journals and I took dream classes and wrote my dreams down. And so I think all those things fed into what makes me express myself well in, in words. But one of the things that was the biggest influence, you know, our parents become very smart when they die. And um, my dad and I took a walk one day. He was the professor of speech that I was telling you about earlier before we um, started recording. And he said to me after I was 20 years after I had maybe or maybe 18 years, I was a middle 30s mom, young mom. And I had had this clinical depression as a college freshman. And he was very, you know, connected to me. And my mother was very connected to me throughout my getting well. And he said, you should write a book called How I Got Well and Stayed That Way. And I said, oh, dad, that's really nice. But I'm never, I, I don't think I'm a, I mean, I don't have any call or desire to be a writer. I'm a busy mom and yada, yada. So then, you know, they die and then, you know, you take these different classes and things and it just sort of starts to, these things sort of start to your purpose. I shouldn't say these things, your purpose specifically starts to emerge clearly, just like a statue that you might be carving, you know, uh, from clay, but you only work at it a little bit a year and all of a sudden, oh my gosh, there it is, you know, it's staring at me in the face. And so that's kind of how it was for me. It was a, it was a process, but because he was an inf a big influence in my life. And, and also mo both of my parents were good writers. My dad was a poet as well as an author. He, he published books on how to, you know, speak well and, and public speaking and also interpersonal communication. And my mom was a really good kind of like a grandma Moses kind of poet. She wrote poems for all the weddings and birthdays and just the sweet occasions. And she just had a real knack for saying things that made people cry. So I have it from lots of different, you know, those are all different influences, I guess. Right, right. What was the inspiration and intention of writing your book, Who You Are Meant to Be, The Enneagram Effect? Well, firstly, I was, I've been wanting to write this book since I took my certification at Loyola in that master's program. And I came home and I said to my husband, oh my gosh, I have to work with this. I just, oh, I was on fire. I just, it was, I had heard of the Enneagram but I, you know, I knew a little bit about it. I thought it was like Myers-Briggs or some kind of little personality test or whatever. But it is it is so much more than that. And that's why it's well-received worldwide and, and continues to be um, something that's powerful and profound for people. It isn't just about personality. It, and it is the antithesis of putting you in a box as your personality. It just shows you patterns and ways of thinking and behaving that you, that everybody I've given it to for 18 years is so clear about and says all the time, this is exactly what I do. This is me. This is what I do. Yes, yes, yes. It's so clear and it helps you show in depth. It's like an emotional MRI, I call it. It shows you what you are in like in depth so that 
Why do you want to know what you are, sunny side and shadow side? Why do you want to know what you look like in depth? Some people don't. But the reason you do if you're into well-being is because it will help you navigate through those times that you are disconnected more easily so that you can get back to center. Right. Right. Why do you think most people don't want to look deeper within their personality or themselves? It takes courage to do the work. It does. I mean, learning about your personality type is one thing, but using what I call the wellness map within the Enneagram is to identify these shadow pieces of ourselves that we might, you know, shadow, the con- the notion of shadow is you either don't know it about yourself or you know it and don't like it. And so people don't necessarily want to know because if you know then you have to take responsibility and so um there you go you know therein lies the rub the work do you want to do the work I remember one time my dad said to me you know gosh I'm forgetting what he said now because it just blocked I just ran went went right out of my mind but it was something to the effect of oh I know what he said we grow in spite of ourselves And I said, yeah, dad, but can you imagine? Because he came from a generation that wasn't really allowed to look within or go into therapy or do this kind of stuff because it was considered weak, especially for men. And so I looked at him and I said, yeah, but dad, can you imagine what it looks like, that growth, when you do the work? Like, imagine what it looks like for your family if everyone does the work. Imagine what it looks like for your your suburb or your city. Imagine what it looks like for your country and for all the countries in the world. I mean, peace, peace comes to a place. You can't just wish for peace. You have to act, do make actions that bring about peace. And, you know, Michael, you know, there's all these different songs, but I don't know who wrote the one that Michael Jackson sang, but the man in the mirror, I mean, those songs, those are important. I don't, want to speak about him, but I'm just speaking about the song that man in the mirror is, it's about looking at ourselves and looking at our, and people don't always want to do that. They don't want to do the work. It's easier to put your head in the sand or whatever you do to, or if you're afraid, you know. So um, that's interesting the way you said that especially for men, that's perceived as weakness if they are exposing that shadow side of them. Well, it was. I think it's getting better. I think it's much better than it was for my father's generation or maybe even your father's generation. You're younger than I am, you know, so it's getting much better. But I hope so. So talk to me about the uh, universal personality types uh, within the Enneagram. And also, very interesting, the way you have in your book, this is something new to me, so I found to be fascinating. There are seven mainstays, strength, and the first one, strength and challenges. Yes. Then you have two, emotional passion, then area of avoidance, and then four... Or we call that a blind spot also. So your blind spot, area of avoidance. And then full wellness map, five instinctual centers, and then six wing style, and seven ways to practice balance. No, I can certainly talk about the types and um, 
I'll talk a little bit about the seven mainstays. I call them the seven mainstays. Different authors say these things differently. But I think there there is universal language about strengths and challenges. They might be called gifts and difficulties or, you know, any other synonym. But um, so look for uh, be open minded when you're reading about the Enneagram and these things, because, you know, it's as much of an art as it is a social science. And um, there will be interpretation and synonyms used. For example, the first of the nine, there are nine universal personality types. And the first one and again, I said that to you earlier. I want to just back sidebar and say nine enia in Greek means nine. And gram refers to uh, written or symbol. So we have an enia symbol, an enneagram. And the nine, it, it's, it, most people who've seen it will remember it's a star-like symbol within a circle, this symbol. Um and those points at the star, uh, with in the star, depict the nine universal personality types. The first being the good reformer. I use two words. Some people say the perfectionist for that one. Um, so again, different interpretations, different authors, um, usually synonyms. The words are synonym. Um, two, the loving giver. Three, the effective achiever. For the original or romantic, or also called the individualist. Five, the wise observer. Six, the loyal skeptic. Seven, the joyful adventurer, also called the epicure, epicurean, you know, kind of personality. Eight, the powerful protector. Um, or also called the boss. You'll, you'll see that. Um, nine, the peaceful mediator, or you'll just see the mediator. Or, so, you know, um, the seven mainstays that relate to these nine types in the book that I um, wrote that I, you know, it's just been out about a year. It's um, it, it talks about these for each of the types and its strengths and challenges. Um, can you please give me a little insight into each of these uh, personality types? Oh, sure, 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 sure. Yeah. So the first, the good performer is came is is sort of nurtured, natured, and you know um, developed to see the world, to see how to make things about to to make things better. They just that's hence the name, the good reformer. They just are always about how to make things better. Um, that's the high side of them. The low side is that they can get, um, overly perfectionistic and overly high expectations running, uh, and crit a critical faculty in of themselves and others. The loving giver in a nutshell is all about what you think. Somebody who's just purpose or whose focus is about the other. They are about giving and helping and, serving and that's what gives them the most pleasure until they find their balance because the low side is they avoid their own needs and um, they need to incorporate their own needs into making their giving count you know uh, uh, because I think St. Paul said you know you can you can give and if it's not done with love then it doesn't really count 
So, and love meaning not obligatory love, but love because you're overflowing with it. So uh, the effective achiever is the United States of America's personality type, Richard Rohr taught us. And um, this type is a leader. They are someone who is um, at the high end, very interested in their own deep truth, their own inner motivation to their truth. And, and that's what, why they become such good team leaders, because they know everyone has this inner truth that motivates them. At the low end, they get overly concerned with the superficial image of what they think and role, which what they think they should do. So um, they can get a little bit on overdrive and maybe an arrogance going with some of that. Um, again, I'm trying yeah, to just you. give a little nutshell here of each. The, 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 the four, the original uh, or romantic type is like the man or woman of La Mancha. They bring, they teach us, they come here and teach us how to dream, that we have a dream, that everyone's entitled to a dream. They, um, at the low end, may get overly romantic with this notion and they get might get connected, disconnected from the whole and feel abandoned. Um, and that's what drives them to be special. They forget that we're all special and all connected. The five, the wise observer, is at the high end. They teach us how to own our power, how to be enlightened, unburdened with all the breadth and width, you know, much uh, wisdom that is at our fingertips. And yet if they do their personality to an extreme, every personality that goes to an extreme runs into or goes to a runs into a goes to a fault will run into its extreme. So when you, when you're a, when you're a, a heady person and you're brilliant, if you stay in your cave too long, then you've missed out on connecting your heart space with other people, which is where you have great intelligence as well. So they miss out on that. And that is the paradox for them. They need to find the balance in that. And, um, head and heart and and gut all of us but the, the head the head for the for the five is they, they they kind of have that as their comfort space and they need to stretch into their heart if they're real healthy they are very connected with their heart six loyal skeptic the loyal type has an inner knowing and brings to the table and teaches all of us how to know what we know, what we know. They have a, a plumb line in a way to the divine or whatever their higher source is, um, where they have this very strong inner knowing. When they get disconnected, they doubt and fear. They look more like the doubting Thomas and uh, lose that connection. And they um, become like chipmunk on, chipmunks on roller skates going around trying to find it and scan the environment for it everywhere when it's right in front of them. But that's the disconnection or the disconnect that happens for the six. Um, and that's the challenge to, to balance, to become aware, work through, come back to center where they have that great faith. The seven, the joyful adventurer is the one that 
teaches people, you know, sort of think of the smiling Jesus with the children, you know, can't we have a little fun here? I mean, does it all, does it all have to be so heavy and hard? And can't we really just know that we're meant to be here and have some joy and like, and enlighten, unburden? But again, when that goes to a fault and they become like Tinkerbell, looking for the light everywhere, chasing it, like spiritual bypassing is one way I mentioned that before, or just not wanting to be uh, aware, all these different ways that people avoid getting deep. They need to focus. And when sevens focus and stay still, be still and know that I am and all those kinds of good things, face their limits, their pain, they know, too, that they have everything they need right in that moment. They don't need to gluttonize to find it. Uh, Eight, the powerful protector, is someone who, um, in a nutshell, owns their power and teaches us how to own ours. Um, they we're all innocent. Why would anybody want to hurt anyone? When they avoid vulnerability because they want to hope, find that power, human or spiritual, um, when they want that power, whether it's a superficial power or a, a deeper spiritual power, I mean, certainly they don't get into trouble when they're trying to feel their deeper spiritual power. But when it's the other kind of power and they do that to a fault because they don't want to be vulnerable, then they end up going into a cave and hiding out saying, who needs people anyway? You know, I don't need them anyway. And they have that disconnect and need to reconcile that work through that and reconcile that. And the nine, the the last of the nine universal types, the peaceful mediator brings to the table a calm, a harmony, a, oh, you know, just um, a big sigh. <laughs> right <laughs> yes. now, they, give, they bring that to people. But when they aren't heard, when their emotional passion of sloth, a laziness of self-expression, or we call it self forgetting when that gets when that runs them all over town with a ring in their that I like to say then they are disconnecting and from their real authentic self and their spirit because when they're not heard they say they don't really care if they're heard but everybody wants to be heard in some way shape or form whether you dance it out or write it out or speak it out or whatever way you do it, but everyone wants to be heard. So nines will often say, I don't care, whatever, you know, but when they get into that place of self-forgetting to a fault, then they really do lose their peace. They lose that, that true peace. Um, they become passive aggressive or different things. So that is the disconnect that they must work through in order to find their center. That's a good, just a nutshell of each of the types. And I want to say we're all, we share all the aspects of all of those types, though we have our home in one, according to the Enneagram wisdom, which is close to 4,000 years old, they believe. Right. How fascinating. And how do we find out which one of these personalities is our home? Well, you could go to my website, which is, um, there's, or you could just Google it, but I'm happy to let you come to my website. And um, I wrote out um, a nine color-coded paragraph quiz, a discernment quiz, so that you can, you know, narrow it down, you know, to certainly people who are very self-aware don't have any problem of figuring it out. If you're having a little difficulty, you can write me um, a little 
question and I can help you discern uh, because I have questions to ask you that will help you, you know, narrow it down. So that's spirit driven living www if we say that anymore spiritdrivenliving.com and um, it'll say discernment quiz you know you'll find it on the website wonderful we don't have enough time to go through the seven mainstays but if you wanted to mention them again uh, rosemary briefly that would be wonderful Okay. So in my book, Who You Are Meant to Be, The Enneagram Effect, which is on Amazon, and uh, you'll um, be able to um, get either the Kindle or the paperback. And the in each of the chapters, it covers the strengths and challenges for each of the nine types. It covers the um, emotional passion. It's kind of like our driving, the driving energy of that type. It covers the area of avoidance. That's the blind spot. The, 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 the blind spot is the area from shadow that we don't want to necessarily know about or we just don't know about. Right. The, the wellness map it says that we receive, this wisdom says we receive when we center from the resourceful or high side of corresponding type on the Enneagram when we're safe and secure and when we're stressed. We domino down and receive sort of, we land in the gunk and it gets contaminated by the low side of another type. So that's, it's called the arrows or the wellness map because it, I call it a wellness map because it shows you what you look like when you feel well, when you're in states of well-being and when you're in the absence of well-being. So, and the um, instinctual centers just are where you have your knowing. Which is your preferred way of knowing, your head, your heart, or your gut? So they're all good, but we want to, in stress, align all three before problem solving. Because hearts get carried into drama, heads get carried into monkey mind, guts get carried into over-knee-jerk reactions. And then um, the wing style is the next door neighbor of the personality. So on that spectrum where you see the star with nine points, you'll see that each type has a next door neighbor. The peaceful type has the good reformer next to it and the eight. And you have two wings, think two wings to fly. But again, one is your dominant and ways to practice balance. The wing just influences the core personality type, by the way. And the ways to practice balance teach a nine, for example, who I kind of feel like you're a nine, Valeria, yeah. uh, the, the peaceful type. It will teach you how to practice balance in terms of being heard, keeping all that beautiful calm that you have, but being assertive too, in a word. It's very deep and it's a lot to cover, but I gave you at least a... Uh, appetizer, I hope. Right, and it did. Um, very tasty one <laughs> <laughs> at that. That's very interesting to me because we think that a lot of times we are spiritual seekers. I have been my entire life. And we think that when we achieve that enlightenment or maybe deep understanding about life and ourselves, then we are done. Everything will be perfect. It doesn't happen. So this really helps because the personality plays a huge role. And you can't, you can't know, you can't get into 
who you are meant to be, that authenticity and that spirit, that spiritual essence that you came here to be. You can't know it without having a personality. I mean, you have right. to break down, you have yeah. to have a box in order to peel the walls <laughs> down a little bit to see outside of it, you know? True. So true. And that's what I love about it. Yeah, I did know. So thank you so much for bringing this to my attention. You're welcome. And, you know, anyone can connect with me on that website, Spirit Driven Living, and ask any questions they'd like. Wonderful. I have a few more questions for you. I call them final questions. Uh, would you like to add anything else, Rosemary, before I ask them? Well, just to say that on the website, the, it's a 15-minute complimentary you know, answering of questions, discernment kind of thing. Yeah, that would be all. I just wanted to give that there is a limit on it, but it's, um, and then they can check out if they'd like to put a group together or do a virtual small group on Zoom with me. And, you know, um, I give a really in-depth, um, wonderful, deep one, uh, Enneagram profile for those who would be interested uh, in a personal session or a small group session. They could either go with just the discernment quiz on the website or a more in-depth one. Sounds great. I'll have the link below too. So my final questions, do you believe in unconditional self-love? Well, I believe in it. Absolutely. I mean, that's what I'm involved in. And I, and again, I would echo what you just said, which is it's a lifelong process. On the back of my book, I, I, I say um, something to that. The Enneagram wisdom is, what do I say here, uh, is about remembering who you are at your essence. It's about thriving, not just surviving. Um, this transformation is a lifelong process. And Enneagram wisdom is motivating. If the foundational relationship with the self is the one from which all relationships are formed, it makes good sense to awaken to who you are and who you came here to be. So, yes, yes, I do. Yes. Um, what is another word for healing? Mm, well, wholeness. Wholeness, yeah. If you knew you would die soon, meaning losing the body, would you make any change in your life or do anything differently? Oh, I'm sure I would. I mean, we, you know, you think you're living your best life or you're trying to, but something like that just calls, I think it's going to call up both the best of you and the worst of you. And then it's going, because it's stressful to, to, to think about dying for most of us, to, to be facing death in the face, you know, to look to be so close to it that it would be stressful. So you would, I'm sure it would be difficult. And it would be like, I want, I have to make the most of everything, you know? So it would be a, a balancing act, but I would think, um, I would hope I would, I would choose the, letting go of all the stress that would come with it as much as I possibly could to make the most of every minute that I had. Yeah, that sounds great. And wisdom again <laughs> comes to mind. And my last question, what are three things about life you know for sure as of today? Well, I know there's good people in the world and I know there's really, really, really good people. And I know that we don't all have to agree on everything. So I know that there's good people. I know we don't all have to agree on everything. And I know there is great potential for peace. We just all have to crank up our consciousness a little bit, a lot, a little bit or a lot, depending on who we are. And know that the truth does truly set you free. The truth sets you free. Inner truth 
sets you free. Don't be afraid of it. Do not be afraid of it. And my last technical question, I know you already mentioned before, but please mention again, where can we find more information about you, your books, products, services, and future projects? Um, I'm actually writing a piece right now called The Courageous Heart, and that will be published. I mean, it's a compilation, an inspirational compilation book, which will be date to be determined. I, I'm not publishing it, so I have to find all that out. It should be this summer, later in the summer. And my website is spirit, the word spirit, the word driven, D-R-I-V-E-N, and the word living, L-I-V-I-N-G, spiritdrivenliving.com. And my um, email for anyone who would like to email me um, a, qu- a question that will come directly from there's a contact me, you know, contact Rosemary form and it will come directly to my email. So you, you, you don't really need my email if you go to the website. Oh, and I forgot. I just wanted to add that if anybody would like to, I'm on Facebook too and Twitter and LinkedIn and all of those good things. I would love it if I could just mention on Instagram, I have a page called Enneagram Empower. It's Enneagram, the word E-N-N-E-A-G-R-A-M underscore empowerment, Enneagram empowerment on that's Instagram. You can find me there. I do like little inspirational, um, daily during the week, not always the weekend, but daily inspirations regarding the, to the pertinent to the nine types, the nine universal types on the Enneagram. Wonderful. Would you like to mention something else that you, that comes to mind? Anything else? Just, I would love it if anyone would like a book, you can go right to Amazon and um, find it and you can get one. I think they're, you know, the uh, Kindle version is very inexpensive if you'd like to read um, that way. And if you like a book book, I think it's $19.99. Wonderful. Thank you so much again for our meaningful conversation and for sharing your wisdom. I love your presence. Thank you. Thank you so much. I I was so happy to meet you. I just can feel you through your beautiful picture and your beautiful face and have a wonderful, uh, wonderful um, uh, career doing what you're doing. It's very meaningful to bring, to have people like you to bring our work out into the world. Thank you, Rosemary. Thank you so much again. And we'll talk soon. Bye for now. Okay. Okay. Bye now. Take care. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Rosemary Hurwitz, please visit her website, spiritdrivenliving.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. I want to thank the Patreon members, Lawrence McGrath, Mark Basden, Terry Clayton, and Aidan Vickrock. Thank you for listening, and bye for now.